Hi, everyone. This is Braden Bell, the host of the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. I'm returning with part two of my conversation with Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore. If you haven't heard part one yet, I would strongly encourage it because honestly, the entire interview with her was just so wonderful. But here is part two. My guest today is Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, PhD. Dr. Kennedy Moore is an internationally published author, psychologist, and mother of four. Her newest book is Growing Feelings, a kid's guide to dealing with emotions about friends and other kids. She's also the co-author or author of four books for parents, Kid Confidence, Smart Parenting for Smart Kids, What's My Child Thinking, and The Unwritten Rules of Friendship. Her books have been translated into 10 languages, and she is also a professor for the Great Courses Wondrium audio-video series, Raising Emotionally and Socially Healthy Kids. Dr. Kennedy Moore is the creator of the Kids Ask Dr. Friend-tastic podcast, where she answers questions from children about making and keeping friends. She also offers gentle, practical, and research-based help for parents and kids through her online courses at Open Door for Parents. Her blog, Growing Friendships on Psychology Today, has over 4.9 million views. A trusted expert on parenting and child development, Dr. Kennedy Moore has been featured guest on Live with Kelly and Ryan, The Today Show, and Good Day Philadelphia, as well as dozens of major radio shows and podcasts. She's been interviewed and quoted in numerous newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, Real Simple, Working Mother, and CNN.com. I first became acquainted with Dr. Eileen when I was working on a piece for the Washington Post several years ago. The piece was titled, Not All Unkindness is Bullying. Here's Why That Matters and How to Tell a Difference. I was looking for some authoritative um, support of a particular point, and I found her and became very um, a big fan of her work. She talks clearly with compassion, and she is able to talk about complicated situations and um, ideas in very easy-to-understand terms. You'll hear also she's very warm and very anxious to help people live their best lives. And living one's best life for a child, of course, involves friends, since friends occupy such a huge part of the energy that goes into being a kid today. So I'm delighted to have her today, appreciate her time, and I'm excited for you to hear her. So without any further ado, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, welcome to the Parent Teacher Podcast. So this is a difficult question to conceptualize maybe but you you spoke really uh, wonderfully and i'm i'm so glad people heard the the definition of bullying because it it is it's it's like we have great inflation i feel like sometimes we have bullying inflation and that we just we use that term to cover meanness um, yeah. like just yeah i talk about not, ordinary meanness yeah right. do you so Which i'm not defending or advocating <laughs> Yes, to be clear. It happens. It happens. Yeah. I do think that is important to understand is when we talk about this, no one is saying it's okay to be mean, but we are saying that's going to be when you have an immature being interacting with other immature beings, exactly. it's, it's simply going to happen. Yeah. Bullying is never deserved. We, we don't 
talk about, you know, as we try to intervene, we, we don't, uh, we always want to avoid any kind of blaming of the person who was bullied. But let's, as we talk about just these kind of ordinary, pretty normal garden variety social problems, do you find that many times when there's a problem that there are, it's a, there's a dance, in other, it, it's a two-way problem or how often do you find that it really is just one kid that's completely causing another kid pain versus the you know it all started when she kicked me back kind of idea I mean that that's hard to tell to answer I don't have any definitive data about that there it's good if we can find a two-way street because that gives us some options of things that our kid can do so that is very, very useful. Um, what I find in bullying cases is it's often a group picking on one. And then they're kind of caught up in the group dynamic. And let's face it, with kids, I would say, especially middle schoolers, their empathy is not fully developed and they're experimenting with social power. Again, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but this right. developmentally, that's just where they are understand that yeah right another thing that i find a lot is that kids will stick with a not so kind friend or a not so kind group because they feel like they have no other options and this is another thing that parents can really help with um i i often ask kids questions about how do you feel when you're with them that's so that's like the the main question. If you were upset about something, how would they react? Do you feel like you can be your real self with them or do you feel like you have to hide or pretend? Mm. Like these are questions that about intimacy that kids need to start thinking about in the middle school and teen years especially. But even with the younger ones, that how do you feel when you're with them is such an important question. Mm -hmm. And then we have to give them other options. It can be enormously comforting for kids to be able to tell themselves, my real friends are on the swim team. So I am a huge advocate in having multiple groups for children um, just so that they have options. Again, think with your child about what do they enjoy doing that they, or what would they like to learn that they could do with other kids? Kids make friends by doing fun things together. I like volunteer activities because it skews for nice kids. <laughs> so, That's true. That's a great yeah, point. You're going to more likely to find a kind person doing the volunteer activities. Not always, you know, but. Well, that's a but, very interesting point, though. You could probably shop a little bit. I mean, yeah, that, that's a great, great point. Um, maybe if you can find a nature club, they'll be very nurturing. Who knows? Right, uh, exactly. But, but let's use, as a parent, use your deep knowledge about your child to try to help them find their thing or find a thing or their tribe, um, their group that where they feel comfortable. Um, like my son, when he was growing up, he's tall and thin and uncoordinated. That's my fault genetically. Um, but he's, he's also got a very high pain tolerance. And I ended up throwing him into crew. Well, I gave him two choices. Do you want to do crew or taekwondo? And he went with crew, which is rowing. 
And he ended up doing it all the way through college. And that was his band of brothers. Um, so like, I didn't know that was going to take, but I looked at my kid and thought, "Hmm." (laughs) you know, it's, it's a very, it's a single movement. So you, you, you you repeat again and again, there are no balls coming at you. (laughs) So there was a possibility there and it took. I want to just pause on what you said, if we may, and just emphasize it, that parents should use their deep knowledge of their child we we so often want to focus on the other child, but we don't have a deep knowledge of them. So we really should leverage our, what we bring, which is no one can replace, which is that deep knowledge of our child. That's a yeah. beautiful, I love that. That's a beautiful yeah. phrase. In my practice, I often tell parents, you are the expert on your kid and your family. And I say this in every one of my books and we're up to nine now, <laughs> um, but I, I believe that because whatever advice you receive or read or see, you want to be weighing it against, does this make sense for my kid? And of course, as the kids get older, they have a stronger sense of themselves and we have to defer to their knowledge. But nobody has logged as many years with your kid as you have. the other thing, though, that's important to think about as parents, as human beings, we tend to assume my kid is just like me. And oh. that's just human nature. So while we want to observe and we want to respect our deep knowledge, we also have to be open to the possibility that they are different from us. And that's really one of the miracles of children, right? That they're, they're not me. They're not my spouse they're their own little person and we can be we can be open and eager to discover that let's let's segue you mentioned your nine books let's let's talk about your your books if we may um listeners i just before we do though i i'm going to share something i've been learning from dr eileen ways to think about all this i think one of the great things that we can take comfort in is she keeps kind of rooting all of these things as part of life's journey, the, the things they learn now, the struggles they have now about friendship, the things they learn, that is actually not just some kind of terrible detour on their path. That is actually going to help them position uh, so they can deal with relationships for the rest of their lives. So these are not blips or tragedies. This is the road and it's getting them ready for future relationships. So it's okay. We're certainly going to feel worried and and stressed sometimes on their behalf, but we can sit back and uh, confident in the knowledge that this is actually going to help shape them for the rest of their lives. And I find that to be a really comforting and beautiful thought. So I love And one of the most important ways that we as parents influence our kids is by the narratives we help them create about their experiences. So I had a family once where in my practice where the kid was bullied the previous year and definitely bullied like a group of kids targeting him. Um, it, it was not good. Um, but they got help from the the school and things settled down, but the mom was still, you know, very on edge about kind of scanning the environment for is it going to happen again, and um, so I told her that what we could do is construct a narrative that allowed 
the kid and her to move forward. And the narrative I suggested was something like this. I am so sorry that this happened to you. This was not right that they treated you like that. And at the same time, it's really good to know, even at your age, that you are the kind of person who can face a difficult situation, get the help that you need, and move forward. I wish it hadn't happened, but wow, you know, you're an imp a pretty incredible kid to have be able to get through this. And I don't know how you're going to use this knowledge. And maybe you'll be extra empathic to somebody else who's been bullied, or maybe you'll just draw on the strength that you know you got through that so you can get through pretty much anything. What and a I'm beautiful, empowering way to put that. That acknowledges the pain, but it doesn't lock them in the pain. It exactly. A relief. Exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah. And just generally, I often suggest that parents be biased biographers for our kids. And we do this by focusing on those times when they struggled and then triumphed. I remember when you were first learning to ride your bike and you fell and you fell and you fell. And now look at you zipping around. I remember when you were first learning to swim and you were afraid to put your face on the water. And now look at you, you're a fish. So the, in those moments when they're struggling, it is so hard for kids to remember their strength, but we can. Right. And we, we really, that is a critical role a parent has. A child cannot do them that themselves usually, but that is something we bring that is irreplaceable. I don't think anyone else can do quite what we can do with that. Right. Because we've been there. Yeah. That you know, deep we, knowledge. We, yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, you can tell already just so far what a, a wonderful, wise and empathetic and um, skillful uh, clinician, uh, Dr. Eileen is, as she mentioned, she has written nine books. The most recent I find to be really interesting. They're, they're actually all really quite interesting, but the, the most recent one is called feelings about friends. Yeah. I, yeah, we, growing we, feelings. Yeah. yeah. Growing uh, feelings. Kind yeah. of, um, sorry, it's, sorry. It's called growing feelings, but it, it is kind of a focus about feelings about friends. So it's not yes. just friend, friendship tips. And we've, really, I think, kind of come at this already, but why did you specifically decide to write about that particular topic, feelings about friends? Well, children's biggest feelings are often about their friends. And the first book for kids growing friendships talks about all the skills, and, and that's great. But we know, for example, from marital research that a lot of times people will absolutely know good communication skills and what they should do. And then they get mad and they don't want to do any of it. <laughs> so the feelings, how kids handle those feelings that come up in any relationship has a big impact on whether that relationship is going to continue or grow closer or fade away or fall apart immediately. So this is, this is fundamental. And a lot of the advice that kids get about feelings is pretty generic. Things like take deep breaths. I mean, that's good as far as it goes, but I've had more than a few kids come into my practice and say, I hate breathing. 
and, and really what they're saying, they don't hate breathing, but they hate being asked to sit still and, and breathe calmly. So that's not the right strategy for everybody. You know, the, that kid could probably do better with moving in order to, to calm down. Um, but there's more to handling emotions than just calming down. And that doesn't say anything about the interpersonal the social aspect of it, of there's another person there involved. And another advice that is very common is punch pillows. No, don't do that. There is not a shred of empirical evidence that punching pillows helps at all. In fact, if you act aggressively, it rehearses and intensifies negative feelings. That is not a good option. So what Chris McLaughlin, my co-author, and I, I do in Growing Feelings is we introduce the idea of a feelings story. So we, it starts with an event. Let's say my friend didn't call me back. And that event immediately leads to thoughts about the meaning of that event, the significance of it. What does it say about her? What does it say about me? What does it say about our friendship? And then those thoughts like, oh, she must hate me, um, are going to lead to feelings. And um, the so maybe I feel hurt, maybe I feel angry, maybe I feel resentful. Those feelings prime action. So now we're crossing the line between the internal events to the external events with what we do. Um, so I might send her 87 texts saying, why are you mad at me? Why do you hate me? And our actions are going to trigger reactions from the friend, like dump me like a hot potato <laughs> or, you know, yell back or whatever it is. And those, that reaction can be set the whole cycle moving again. Now, the beauty of the feeling story is that each of these areas are points of intervention. So starting with the event, if we know this friend is really bad at responding to texts, maybe we're not going to do it. Or we might just think about it differently at the thinking level of, yeah, she's always bad at responding, or um, maybe she's busy, or we can think of, I, I like to call it the maybe game, where we think of reasons other than deliberate meanness, why she might be doing what she's doing. You know, maybe she got in trouble and her parents confiscated her phone. Maybe she forgot to charge it again. Um, there, maybe she's busy with something. So there are a lot of reasons besides deliberate meanness, and that can lower our anger when we can think of those different maybes. At the level of feelings, we talk about opposite feelings. So these don't erase the, the hurt or the anger, but we can dig within ourselves to find maybe acceptance or compassion. Ooh. And that's going to balance out the anger and kind of soften it. And then we can make a decision about, so what are we going to do? Um, dumping her with mean texts is not going to get the response that we want. So we want to anticipate her reaction. This is a really hard thing to do. Right. Like babies just cry, you know, that's it. And they're not thinking about how anybody's going to respond. But as we get older, we want to think about what is the response that I want and what kind of communication is most likely to get that. Maybe none. Maybe I'll just talk to her tomorrow. Or maybe I'll send one text saying, hey, you must be busy. If you're free, I'll, I'll be around until whatever time. Um, so there are different things. And when we see, when I see her, I'm going to be friendly instead of just, why didn't you do that? You're always doing that. That's not going to get the response that I want. 
So this is empowering for kids. Very. If they see there are so many different places where they can learn to manage their feelings. And and am not making the, the problem worse. I mean, it, yes. it'll, it, it helps develop self-control and more self-awareness. It also interrupts just making this immediate situation worse. That's yeah. brilliant. I love yeah. it. And we have to th understand that feelings are not things to be gotten rid of. They're a source of information about ourselves and our environment. I think of them kind of like smells. You know, they can be mild or intense, pleasant or unpleasant. I'm just going to notice it. And then I'm going to make a decision about what I do with it. Maybe not them. <laughs> um, or maybe I'll, I'll take action. Yeah. That's a really, really wonderful analogy too. That gives us, that puts us in a lot, gives us a great deal more, um, power to choose our reactions because we're spending less time and energy thinking about what we feel. I, I really like that. I have a smell. That's a, right. a wonderful. And we don't need to be thinking about, oh, I have to let my feelings out or I'm going to burst. Yeah. My very first book was for mental health professionals. It has 47 pages of references. Last time I did that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there is no research that just barfing out our emotions is going to do anything good. We need to make thoughtful choices about what we express, how we express, to whom we express it, when we express it. And that's empowering. So often I've seen people vent, or I have myself, and it doesn't actually vent. I mean, it it, it just ends up, it seems like it exacerbates, it multiplies the feelings, but it doesn't usually just make them go away. So I'm really... Right. It's compelling to know that. Right. We really want to interweave the thoughts and the feelings, like take those feelings seriously, mm -hmm. but think about them also right. and to interweave those two. And we, we question our assumptions right. and we think about how do I want to move forward? Um, and, and we have to be kind to ourselves also about, yeah, right now I'm feeling whatever it is. This is also wonderful. Can you talk to us about, there's so many different kinds of feelings one might have about friends. How about feeling shy, for example, or anxious around friends or other kids? Yeah, so that that's one of the most common ones. And I, I get very normal, right? Who doesn't feel a little like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> when we go into a new situation. The most important thing that I wish people knew about anxiety is that you got to stay in the water to get used to it. In my practice, I often draw a picture of a pool and a kid in the middle of it and says, and I ask, what happens when you first jump into a pool? And usually the reaction is, oh my gosh, it's freezing. What happens if you stay in the water? Does the water temperature change? No, what changes is our perception of it. We get used to the water. But the corollary to that is that no amount of standing at the edge of the pool is going to get you used to the water. So no amount of avoiding contact with other people is going to get you used to the water. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff out there. Oh, that's triggering for me. I should avoid it. And I'm like, no, don't, you know, if you, if you want to go in toe by toe, that's fine. I'm definitely a toe by toe person myself, but you got to get in the water and stay there. So for a shy kid, I would be focusing on, um, well, going through the, I would be focusing on what do they like to do that they could do with other people. And another thing that tends to get in the way is what I call the magnet myth of friendship. 
And this is the belief that I have to be so amazing and wonderful that I draw friends to me the way a magnet attracts metal. No, you don't. Um, and in fact, if you are looking for that, wow, you're amazing reaction, you are not looking for friends, you are looking for fans. <laughs> and the problem is your peers do not want to, to be your to fan. Be so friendship is fundamentally a relationship between equals. We want to think about what do you like doing that you could do with other people? What do you have in common with other people? If you don't have anything in common with that person, you're not going to become friends. So find find those people. Another good thing to do is, um, especially with like middle school and older, the conversation becomes more a part of the friendship than just kicking a ball around. Although kicking a ball, ball around is good. <laughs> uh, and luckily, a lot of social interaction is pretty formulaic, which is great. And people put down small talk. I love small talk. It's a signal that I like you. And it's an opening to let's let's deepen our friendship. Um, or just, you know, kindness. It's just so we can start with, with teaching kids about greetings. How do you do a friendly greeting? A lot of times shy kids will look down, look away. They're focused on their own discomfort, but the message that they're sent, putting out there is, I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. Now, if you have a kid who's really resistant to working on this, um, I tell kids, just count. The next time you're at school, count how many greetings you hear. And it's bazillion, right? Because that's what people do. So the unexpected behavior is not greeting someone. But then we might have to teach them the specific ways to do a friendly greeting. It starts with eye contact, or if that's uncomfortable for your child, have them look the other person in the forehead right between the eyebrows. From a little bit of a distance, you can't tell the difference. So look them in the eyes or the forehead. And then you smile to show you're happy to see them. Then you say hi, and if you can, you say the person's name. So a lot of kids don't even know anybody's names. Well, pay attention because we're going to work on this. Um, see, see how many names you can learn tomorrow. So this is the first couple of seconds of interaction, but it matters. Another thing that a good formula that people have found useful is what I call the great plus one fact formula. So a lot of times people will ask, how are you? Or how was your weekend? And that's that's a great thing to do. Asking how and what questions are very useful to get more elaborate answers out of people and, and to show interest in them. So asking interested questions, giving a compliment, those are nice ways to initiate. But we also need to know how to answer when somebody asks us, how was your weekend? And the answer is great plus one fact. Great expresses enthusiasm. And some of my clients will say, well, do I have to say great? Can I just say good or fine? It's like, try for great because usually these kids are low on enthusiasm. So just overshoot a little bit and let's, let's see how it goes. And this is cultural. Uh, right. American cultures more than, than others values enthusiasm. So we got to try that. And then for the one fact, what you want to do is share one fact that creates an image in the listener's mind. So how was your weekend? Great. My grandmother came over and we made snickerdoodles. Fantastic. I can picture that. Um, 
So the grade plus one facts creates a picture in the listener's mind, and that can lead to further conversations about, oh, is that your favorite kind of cookie or what other kinds of cookies have you made with her? Um, and we can go from there. Um, oh, 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 did you eat them all? Do you have any left? <laughs> so you're giving them some options, some openings. Exactly. You're making exactly. it easier for them to respond. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. How's soccer? Great. My team has lost all the games, but we have really good snacks. <laughs> you know, oh, what are the snacks? I want to know. This is wonderful. This is really helpful, just beautiful, practical, um, moment by moment, you know, tactical things a child can do. And so much more helpful than saying, well, just try to be friendly or try to be interested. This this is wonderful because it gives them some really specific things to work on. And there are options, right? So none of this is, you must do this at all times. In Growing Friendships, we talk about five skills, reaching out to make friends, stepping back to keep friends, blending into join friends, speaking up to share with friends, and letting go to accept friends. Now notice that some of those are opposites. Mm -hmm. That's because friendship skills are never about just doing one thing. We need to flexibly adjust our behavior to fit the situation, to fit our goals, and we want options. That's that's the whole thing is give kids options because sometimes, for instance, when they have a meltdown, they don't feel like they have any other options. They just feel trapped and we can teach them that. Uh, you have been so generous with your time. Listener, she's actually been even more generous because we had a little, I had a, a little late start today. So Dr. Eileen has been standing by with us for quite some time now. Do you have time for just two more emotions? Because I think these are big ones. Um, How about feeling jealous and feeling anger? Because those are- those are pretty big ones, I think. For absolutely, people. absolutely. So jealousy happens when another fr- a friend has another friend, and we feel that that threatens our relationship. And there are two things that are definitely not going to work. One is to try to squeeze the friend like an octopus and just keep them tightly to us. That pretty much guarantees that they're going to leave. Another thing that I I see a lot is kids trying to divide the friend. Okay, so you get her on Mondays and Tuesdays and I'll get her on Thursdays and Fridays on on Wednesday, I don't know. Not a good idea. (laughs) It's not a custody battle here. It's it's gonna fall apart. It's gonna be resentment. And it's also leading to what I call a, a keeping score mindset. That doesn't belong in a friendship. Friendships are about caring, not about keeping score. And if you're looking for unfairness, you're going to find it. So what can we do? Probably the one, one easy, the, one option that could really settle things down is to make an effort to befriend the other friend. If your friend likes that kid, chances are you're going to like them too. So really put in the effort to be kind and get to know that other person. That's hard because we wish that friend would disappear and things would go back to the way they were, but they're not. So what can you do? This is an incredibly generous thing to do. And it could make things a lot better. And you might even end up with a new friend. Doesn't always work though, because the other friend may not be interested in you and they might be just as jealous of you as you are of them. So another option is to expand the triangle. 
Friendship threesomes are challenging because if you think of a triangle with the friends at each corner, the lines connecting them, it is very difficult to keep every single line exactly the same at every single moment. So often if we just expand the triangle by adding in a fourth or even a fifth friend, it just lowers the tension. And now we've got a group and that can be lovely. Um, so that that is often what I recommend with those. Oh, and then you asked about anger. Anger, yeah. Yeah. So this is a hard one, right? Because when we're angry, it's so tempting to just lash out and hurt them as much as they've hurt us. But if we stop and think for a second, there is zero possibility that lashing out and being nasty to someone is going to make them say, oh, I see the error of my ways. Now I'm going to respond to you with kindness. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So and, and the principle that I teach kids in my, in my practice is the louder you yell, the harder it is for people to hear you. And I asked them to explain that to me. What does that mean? Can't they hear you better if you're louder? And the answer is no, because they don't want to listen. So this is, this is really important to not be lashing out. Take a break, calm yourself down, maybe talk it over with a parent. Um, be careful about talking it over with another friend, because that can expand the the conflict it was two people and now everybody's taking sides and it's like eight against 12 and uh, very ugly so think it through but just dissing the front is not it's not kind and it's definitely not helpful we want to think about well i'll, I'll tell you one formula that i like a lot it, it's called um soft criticism and this is probably the best thing that I've ever invented because it works and it works with kids and their friends and it works with parents and their kids and it works with, with spouses or coworkers or whoever. So the normal response when we are criticized is to defend, well, it's not my fault and you do it too and they do it worse, et cetera. That's human nature. The soft criticism is designed to get around that normal defensiveness. And we start by giving an excuse. So the excuse might be something like, I know you didn't mean to, you probably didn't realize, I get that you had a lot going on. The beauty of the excuse is that in order to come up with an excuse, we have to stop for a second, imagine things from the other person's perspective, which lowers our, which um, raises our empathy, lowers our anger, great place to start. Also, just practically, if we give an excuse, they don't have to come up with one and we can just skip that part. So you give an excuse. And then the second step is you describe the problem. And here the phrase you want to use is when you bad behavior, bad outcome. So let's do an example. Um, you probably didn't realize that that was something I told you in confidence that I didn't want anyone else to know. And when you told Margaret and she blabbed it to everybody, I felt really hurt and even kind of betrayed. Okay, but we can't leave them there. Um, so we have to move on to the third step, which is um, you know, moving on. So we might 
ask them for something and say, from now on, could you please? Mm -hmm. Or if you're doing it as a parent, you might say, what could you do to make her feel better? Um, but th again, this is about continuing the friendship. We want to move forward. So think about what is it that you would like the friend to do now? Um, and maybe you just say, I really need to hear that you understand and you're sorry and you won't do it again. Um, but we have to give them a path forward, just blasting them. That's, that's nothing. That's, it's mean right. and it's friendship ending. Right. A lot of times I hear that from kids that they argue a lot with their friends and they go, oh, me and my friend, we argue all the time. Well, then your friendship is at risk because if there's too much conflict, a friendship is not going to survive. So we have to remember that if you think of like a bag of marbles, every kind act, every time we have fun together, that's like adding a marble to the bag. But every mean act, that's like ripping out the seam and the whoosh, all the all the marbles drain out really quickly. So they are not equal, the positives and the negatives. The positives have to way outweigh the negatives. So it, when we're having a conflict with a friend, we have a couple of options. One is that we could... Um, we could try to talk things out and reach a compromise. Another is we could ask for what we want using the soft criticism. Another option is we could give in graciously or just accept, huh? This is the way my friend is. And it's annoying, but the friendship, you know, the good, the good parts of our friendship outweigh that. Yeah. But the idea of giving in graciously when there's a conflict is not something that will occur naturally <laughs> to most children, <laughs> but what a gift. It is. And I'm not saying we have to do this all the time, but let's say we're both arguing for something and you want to do it this way. I can look at you and say, okay, we can do it your way. Right. And I can say in my head, even though I know my way is better. Um, <laughs> But it's it's a generous thing to do. Not all the time, you know, not if it's going to be hurtful to you. Right. Um, and sometimes we do stand up and say, well, you know, we did it your way last time and the time before. This time I really want to do it my way. And that's, you know, speaking up, using I voices, not I messages rather than you messages, um, leaving out the always and the never and just talking about moving forward. So we, we have a lot of options here. There, there's no, but none of it involves punching pillows. <laughs> right. Not, pillows aren't even available most of the time. <laughs> definitely not at school. And I don't want them kicking lockers either. So yeah. And we also need to talk about forgiveness guidelines. So I know kids who collect grievances like beads on a string, and they can tell you every mean thing everybody has ever done to them for the last five years. Not helpful really not helpful. I had a kid once in my practice where the mom was there and he was there and I were there and we were trying to think of who he could reach out to, to build up his friendships. And the mom said, well, how about the kid down the road? And the kid responded, no, because two years ago in travel basketball, he never passed the ball. That was two years ago. You know, oh do you think goodness. the other kid remembers this? Absolutely not. So Chris and I have some forgiveness guidelines that we offer to kids. 
And there are things like, if it only happened once and it's never likely to happen again, let it go. If the person is genuinely sorry, let it go. If it happened more than a month ago, definitely <laughs> let it go. <laughs> and that's part of being a good friend. Right. At any age. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, thank you so much for your generosity of your time, but also your the your generosity with your experience and with uh, your knowledge, your wisdom, and all of these wonderful things. The book, Parents, which I know you're going to want to get, is called... It's Growing Feelings, A Kid's Guide to Dealing with Emotions About Friends and Other Kids. And the one that came before is Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. And the podcast is Kids Ask Dr. Friendtastic. You can see my Substack email. They get sent directly to your email or it's on all the podcasts or at drfriendtastic.com. Um, everyone, again, uh, I, I just would really encourage you to make use of these resources. It's it's pretty uncommon to be able to have um, someone answer questions like this for you, someone with this much experience. So it has been a delight to be able to talk with you. And we've, we've known known each other um, online for a while and, and to finally get face to face. So thank you My so pleasure. much. Wonderful. Everyone else, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, this is now the third podcast we've done. And so I hope you may now be able to take a moment and give us a rating on um, the podcast platform of your choice. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, happy parenting. You have got this. Thank you.